0: I've been convicted this week as I've prepared to preach this passage. Convicted that my life is so often filled with triviality, filled with trivial distractions. I waste so much time on mindless entertainment. And even when I'm engaging in meaningful work, I so easily lose sight of the reality of God, the reality of eternity and the urgency of mission and the call of Christ. My life. I need the Bible, we need the Bible, God's Word, to wake us up, to lift our eyes again and again, to remind us of what's really important, what really matters, what's really worthy of our time and attention and energy, to remind us of the significance of life, to remind us that truth matters. But how we live matters because we live every moment in the sight of Almighty God. We're almost at the end of our series of 1 Timothy, this letter written by the Apostle Paul to his apprentice Timothy around 64 AD. And there's a real seriousness about whole letter. I've been struck by that as we put it through. The context, the reason for which Paul wrote was that there was false Paul's teachers have infiltrated the church and Timothy is called to put a stop to them. It's there right at the beginning of the letter in chapter 1 and it's front and center as we come to the end in chapter 6. Now as we saw in that reading from Acts, Paul himself had spent three whole years in Ephesus teaching, discipling, building up the church. The great apostle himself, Years of ministry. You, you might have thought that would make the church immune to false teaching, but no. And as we read, he himself warned okay. at the leaders of the church that false teaching would come. Savage wolves would um, come in a, from among their number. The central verses of 1 Timothy are at the end of chapter 3 and they remind us that the church is God's household. I feel like the foundation of the truth. What it's, 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 like it's, it's, it's a, image, a bit like Nelson's column. The church is to be holding up the truth of the Gospel. For all to see. God wants all people to be saved, To come to a knowledge of the truth. And the church's job is to be holding up and holding out the truth of the Gospel. And therefore, false teaching must be stopped. Um, okay. Imagine the analogy, imagine a a radio mask broadcasting the truth of the gospel. Our false teaching is like major distortion, major interference, so that the message cannot be clearly learned. False teaching must be addressed because it distorts the truth, prevents the gospel being heard, and people's salvation is astounding.
1: Well let's get into the passage. We're going to look at it in the three sections. Firstly, the character
0: of false teachers, secondly the call to contentment, and then the charge to okay. remember. Verse 3 5. These are the things you have to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and doesn't agree to the instruction of our Lord, Come with a, a label. They don't come with a kind of written on their foreheads, I am a false teacher. And Paul says that they'll be like savage wolves, which I think must be referring to what Jesus said: that false teachers are like wolves in cheese clothing. So, how do we stop them? How do we recognise them? Paul gives us four characteristics of false teachers. Firstly, they deviate from the truth teaching is different teaching. You see it there in verse 3, they teach otherwise, different. They they don't agree with the sound doctrine, the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's different teaching. Um, It's kind of obvious, but how do you recognise false teachers? Well, you recognise them by what they teach. It might be obvious, but it's all to say because false teachers can be very friendly, personable, charismatic people. They might be ordained, they might have a PhD in theology, they might have a very popular ministry, but if their teaching is contrary to the apostolic teaching of the New Testament, then they are false teachers. When Paul says uh, their teaching doesn't agree to godly teaching, Really teaching that accords with godliness. And when he talks about godliness, he's not just talking about behaviour, he's talking about the way to be right with God. So these false teachers are teaching a different way of salvation, a different way to be right with God. This isn't just secondary details, this is a different gospel. False teachers deviate from the truth. Secondly, they're driven by pride. Paul says they are conceited. Conceited means excessive pride, thinking very highly of yourself. And these false teachers are conceited because they think, they know better than God. I don't know if you've ever had these sort of things said to you. Uh, I have, especially uh, early on when I first embraced an evangelical faith. I was told them, you can't base your beliefs on the Bible, it's an ancient book. Christianity is a living faith. You need to move on. You need to mature. What the Bible teaching is so narrow and simplistic. But think about it. What are the implications of that view? I mean, it sounds very enlightened. So, you know, we can't believe in miracles anymore, that's so unscientific. We know better now. Yeah.
1: We can't believe the Bible's teaching on sexual morality.
0: On the bench, there's a cold black tea with three shoes, and I say, Ah, oh, they'll be fine with that. That'll be alright. <laughs> Can you see there's a, there's a certain arrogance in thinking like that? Thinking that I know what you want and what you'll be happy with. So it is with false teaching. God has told us what He's like, what He wants. And yet point after point false teachers think that they know better than what God has revealed in the Bible. The Bible's teaching isn't very convenient, easier to follow their own ideas. You know there will always be things in the Bible that conflict with our own personal beliefs, our own natural reasoning. The mark of a true teacher, a true Christian is that when you come across something in the bible that differs to your own thinking well, you're willing to change you're willing to change what you think to bring it in line with what god says and so i think it's worth all of us asking are there any points on which i've had to do that are there any points on which i've had to submit to what i was teaching because it differs from my own reasoning or have i agreed to teaching to Thirdly, false teachers. They divide the church. First forward, they have an unhealthy interest in controversy. that we are all going to agree on every point, but we will be united in the things that matter, united in the Gospel, and we will agree to disagree on the secondary things, so that we are not distracted from getting on with the important work. of the There are primary beliefs and secondary beliefs, and it is worth thinking of what goes in each of those categories. Primary beliefs are things related Salvation, things like the divinity of Christ and the bodily resurrection and Jesus is the only way of salvation. The kind of things that we say in the creeds And then there are secondary things like uh, who we should baptise and how and the order of events when Jesus returns and the age of the earth. Things that Bible-believing Christians have come to different conclusions on. Matters. And we can have a divergence, a diversity of views opinion, and united church.
1: Primary beliefs we want to hold on to
0: and fight for, secondary beliefs, all with humility The false teachers love controversies and love quarrels. And, and can you see when you don't have a standard of truth anymore, when there's no grounding to what you believe, then there's going to be constant speculation. I'm not trying to outlaw discussion, but we need to make room for disagreement, room for history, but we don't want to be completely untouched. G.K. Chesterton said, merely having an open mind is nothing. You know, having an open mind is so highly valued, isn't it? but having an open mind says, Chesterton, is just, it was nothing. The object of opening the mind, as of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid. So when we find the truth of the gospel, well, don't keep your mind open to lots of other uh, gospels. Hold on to the gospel tightly. Fourth, thing, fourth characteristic, they desire false gain. forces says, well, in uh, NIV, it financial gain. Financial isn't actually in the original. About false teachers in the church, and think, why are they even in it? What is their motivation? What's in it for them? For the false teachers in Ephesus, it was money. But greater abuses come in the form of tele-evangelists with their promise of blessing to anyone who makes a large financial contribution to the ministry. E aí He takes that idea of false gain, financial gain and in verses 6-10 to gives a call to contentment. A call to contentment. It's interesting, isn't it? He says, they think that godliness is a means to financial gain and then in verse 6 he says, well, godliness is great gain if it's accompanied with someone else say I'm not sure I particularly like this image but i I'm will give it to you <laughs> neither nappies nor death shrouds are false you can't bring anything in In there uh, incorporates the idea of shelter, so food, clothes, accommodation. If we have these basic needs met, well, we can be content. John Stuck in his commentary on one sort uh, quotes from the evangelical commitment to a simple lifestyle. I think it puts it well. We resolve to renounce. We also accept the distinction between necessities and luxuries, between creative hobbies and empty status symbols, between modesty and vanity, occasional celebrations and normal routine, and between the service of God and slavery to fashion. Where to draw the line requires conscientious thought and decision by us, together with members of our family. a of things in mind. Okay. Really, many Paul says some people this is a theoretical some people eager for money and wandered from the family. As Jesus said himself, it's no not possible okay. to love God and money. Either you'll renounce greed or your commitment to the Lord. He suggests a way that we can actively do this is to seek our satisfaction in the Lord. Don't make money in your God. Don't allow your heart to be set on wealth and possessions. Rather actively seek your satisfaction in the Lord. Pray for it. Ask that God will do that work in your heart. Trust God's promises. It needs to be active. If, if we just sort of uh, take a passive approach, we'll get caught along in the tide of our, our materialistic society. So we need to kick against the funnel. You know, over the years, people have come to me as a pastor uh, with wanting to talk about many different struggles that they have been facing, sins that they're struggling with. No one has ever come to me and said I'm struggling with it, And yet, it is so pervasive in our society and it's so easy to justify. It's one of the many areas in which we're all as God's people to be different, to have a different yeah, view system. yet, yeah. sadly, I think as Christians, so often we're pretty much the same. If people could see our bank accounts, they could see our attitude to wealth but and possessions. What would they conclude we really What would <coughs> they conclude is our right And the blueberry went for Culkins. Thirdly, finally, the charge to the man of God. Paul's writing well, like to Timothy. You may have got flee from all this. Actively flee from the love of money and all the evils associated with it. Run from evil as far as you can. Circumstances and patience with difficult people. Pursue these things. Go after them with all regards. Then we're to fight. Paul says, Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. I don't know anyone who enjoys fights. I guess some. tables of the mind mm. and he he kind of made a whip which he then used to drive them out and it's quite confronting we okay. yeah. read how Jesus was full of zeal and righteous anger yeah. there are times when anger yeah. is the right response yep. and when false teachers are leading people away from the gospel is right to feel Thirdly, Paul says, Take hold. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called, and you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is probably a reference to Timothy's baptism, when he stood up publicly and confessed his faith in Christ. Paul says, Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called.
1: Seize hold of
0: it. Treasure it. Eternal life, not just life in the future, life that we can enjoy relationship with God. You know, it's possible to possess something but not embrace it, not enjoy it. God is saying, don't just have eternal life. Live eternal life. Live it to the full. What would that mean for you and be for us to take hold of, to live fully the eternal life to which we've there's a this threefold charge: flee pursue, fight, and take hold. It, it, it's an ethical charge to do with behaviour: fleeing evil, pursuing righteousness. It's a doctrinal charge: fight, fight for the truth, fight the good for the faith. And it's an experiential charge: take hold, of it, embrace, enjoy, appropriate, live out. Ethical, doctrinal, experiential. and John Scott again, helpful comments. He says, Some fight for truth but neglect holiness. Others pursue holiness but have no concern for truth. Yet others disregard both doctrine and ethics in their search for religious experience. The man or woman of God combines all three. I found that really helpful to think yeah, you know, is my life balanced? Am I Am I truth? Am I giving attention to uh, my holiness of life? to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only Lord the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be right and forever. Amen. There's a kind of solemnity, isn't there? A real seriousness. As Paul says these things, Uh, he gives Timothy this charge, firstly, in the sight of God. It's a striking thing, isn't it, to be reminded that we live our lives in the sight of God. God, the life giver, the creator, the one who is able to empower you and me to hold fast, to keep going. God, as he tells us in verse 15, is invincible, immortal, inaccessible, invisible. In the sight of this God, we keep this charge And in the sight of Christ, the good witness, we made a good confession. Paul's reminding Timothy and that Jesus remained faithful to the end. He understands. Firsthand, he knows about the struggles that we face. He has been tempted from everywhere. and he's not disapproving, he's not looking to catch us out. No, he's with us, he's on our side. I charge you in the sight of God and of Christ Jesus, and I charge you in the light of Christ's appeal. Keep this command. Verse 14, without spot or land until the appearing of the Lord of Jesus Christ. Keep this command, says Paul, until Christ appears. He is coming. Paul is certainly what comes. Again, the character of the God he describes, the blessed and only ruler, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, that God will bring back. How to continue, fighting, uh, to continue fighting, yes, to fight hard. to, we're to, we're long long. And, uh, to know the and keep on so, and keep, so, keep keep pursuing, keep fighting, no. keep no. holding on. It won't be like no. 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 It's coming no. It's coming no. again. I don't have to I don't The (laughs) (laughs) end (laughs) of 1 (laughs) Corinthians.